Our scripture this, this morning is uh, Genesis chapter 28. Uh, Going to continue the story of Jacob. Uh, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 15, where it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the, for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is the word of God for us today. Good morning, MCA. What a joy it is to gather again in this place. I'm thrilled that you're with us today. My prayer, as always, is that through our time together, your heart and your home grow stronger in the Lord. So we're going to turn to God's word now. We are doing a sermon series in the life of Jacob, this patriarch, um, as we kind of work our way through Genesis. Uh, of course... I don't have time to recap all of it, but Jacob, and I hope you were, if you were with us last week, we did the story of Jacob and Esau, classic Sunday school story. Jacob would be the grandson of Abraham. So we've got Abraham, who has Isaac, who has Jacob and Esau. And so we're really going to be tracking with the life of Jacob over these next several uh, weeks. Oftentimes, when you hear a sermon or a sermon series about Jacob or his life, it's one of the heroes of the faith sermons. Jacob, one of the heroes of the faith. And yet, as I look at his life, I'm sorry to be so harsh and so critical, but I'm like, he's no hero. I see so many things about his life where, remember, he, he by his very name, by his very uh, birth story, he is the heel grasper, which means it's, he's one who deceives. He's a trickster. He's a con man. Um, he swindled his twin brother out of his birthright and out of his blessing. So we talked about that last week. Uh, if you recall, I called it the story of Harry, that's Esau, and the heel grasper. Harry and the heel grasper. This is sort of Harry and the heel grasper too, because we're not quite done with Esau. He's still kind of around and part of the story. We're going to focus in on Jacob, though, and we're going to see that in this next phase of his life, he goes on a journey. Yes, he goes on an adventure, quite an adventure. He sets out all by himself, all alone, Jacob goes. He's heading to a place that he's never been. He uses a rock as a pillow. He encounters God at this stairway to heaven. He walks, again, on foot, 500 miles. He meets the love of his life. He gets tricked into marrying her sister. He has 12 children. He learns how to manipulate livestock breeding patterns. <laughs> He, he plays this sort of uh, cat and mouse game with his uncle Laban, who's also a trickster. He spends 20 years trying to make his way in the world. 
and, and all the while trying to sort out how is God going to carry out his plan in and through the life of Jacob. <laughs> and so our task this morning is actually monumental because I want to I want to go over this journey that he takes. Um, and I want to start out by by pointing out that Jacob in this journey that we see and it starts in Genesis chapter 28. Uh, you're welcome to if you've got your Bible with you open there. It happens not because Jacob is a thrill seeker. You know, for some of us we say, "Oh, a trip, a journey, an adventure, that sounds great." Remember uh, Jacob is the one who tends to be the homeboy, the homebody, the one who dwells among the tents. It's just that his antics, mainly uh, what he's done against his brother Esau, the birthright and the, and the blessing, um, has greatly angered Esau. Now, I don't know if you evaluate the people that you get angry or not, but I think most people do. So, ah, she's, she's angry, no big deal, but I'm not going to mess with that guy. Esau is not the kind of person you would want to be angry at you, <laughs> right? Again, he's big, he's burly, he's muscular, he's hairy, he's skilled at weaponry and, and killing animals. Like, he, like you do not want to uh, get him angry at you. In, in fact, what we saw then uh, at the end of chapter 27 is he begins to plot to kill his brother Jacob. He's that fuming, stomping mad. You stole my birthright. You tricked me out of my blessing. Like, I'm going to kill you. And so when Jacob sets out on this journey, it's not because he's a thrill seeker. It's not because he wants to travel the world. He's way more comfortable at home. He's a mama's boy. But he's got to go because he wants to spare his own life. So his parents tell him, both, both Rebecca, his mother, and Isaac, his father, tell him, okay, we want you to go to Haran. That's where your <clears throat> mother's relatives are. That's where, that's where Rebecca's from. We got relatives there. We want you to go there. They say, go to your uncle Laban. Rebecca is actually the one who develops the plan. Um, she does not want to lose Jacob. In fact, she says that, that I don't, I don't want to lose you. In a sad twist of irony, I'll go ahead and get, I'll pull back the curtain just a little bit to say, in leaving, Jacob's never going to see his mom again. She doesn't know that. But in leaving, she's never going to see him again. So Jacob takes off. He leaves home. It's like, uh, I'm reminded of a line from The Hobbit. Gandalf says to Bilbo, home is now behind you, the world is ahead. <laughs> and so, in that same spirit, Jacob takes off, he's running for his life. I don't think he goes more than five minutes, probably, and he's missing mom. <laughs> he's regretting the choices he's made. He's feeling really sorry for himself, like, why am I out here? I'm in the wilderness, I'm all alone, I'm not accustomed to living off the land like my brother is. Why did I break this relationship with my twin brother? Why did I deceive my father? On top of all of that, he has nothing. So in leaving uh, his family behind, it's, he, he goes basically with the shirt on his back. If I were in his shoes, I would say, like, what good is my birthright if I'm not there to claim it? <laughs> what, what good is those things that I swindled and cheated people for like, what good are they? Because I'm leaving them all behind. He didn't take it with him. He left. And so he begins this, it's about a 500-mile journey to Haran. Again, he's fleeing from his angry brother who's plotting to kill him. But there is sort of a secondary reason that he and his family discuss, and that is to find a wife. You see, they lived among the pagan Canaanites, and Rebecca in particular said, no, 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 you're not marrying any of these girls. We want you to pick a nice girl from back home. 
So, so he's sort of got a twofold reason. The, the main one being I'm fleeing because there's a plot against my life. I'm going to die. Esau's going to kill me. The second is I'm ready to get married. I want a wife. I haven't found one here. My parents don't want me to marry these pagan girls. And so then the scriptures tell us that he goes a three days journey. He reaches a place called Bethel. And it gets dark. We heard this just a moment ago where Phil read for us. It gets dark. He's not going to travel anymore. And so it's time to sleep. And again, he has nothing. He didn't take along a pack. He didn't take along a sleeping bag. And so he uses a rock as a pillow. He, he sleeps. And when he sleeps, he has a dream. And again, we, we heard about this. And this is also another classic Sunday school story. The, the sta- Jacob's ladder, the stairway to heaven. Uh, We see angels on the ladder going up and down, and the Lord is at the top, and the Lord speaks to him. Now, again, I want to put this in context, and now we're in the second week of following the life of this guy. So we're not just studying this story in isolation all alone to say, oh, a ladder appeared. We're saying, hmm, here's a guy who has just lied, cheated, manipulated, swindled his family, particularly his brother and his father, right? So he's done wrong. And he goes out into the wilderness, and God appears to him. What would be running through your mind (laughs) if Almighty God appeared to you after all of this corruption and wrongdoing and evil that you had just done? Like, is God just going to smite him right then and there? Like, oh boy, you have done it now. Is God going to rebuke him? How dare you, O Jacob, son of Isaac? Let's read what the Lord says. So Genesis 28, starting in verse 13. It's not about who Jacob is. It's about who God is. And he leads with, I am. (laughs) I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And he says, I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. He says, your descendants are going to be like The dust of the earth, you're going to spread out to the west and to the east, the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you. I'll watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. God sort of takes the mystery out of this, what's going to become a 20-year journey, right at the onset, where he says, you're coming back, because I say you're coming back, because of who I am. Not because of you, because you tend to make a mess of things. But you're coming back because I'm telling you you're coming back. He says, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I do what I've promised. God has a plan. And I want us to hear that this morning. Not only, oh, for Jacob, thousands of years ago, for you. God has a plan. Even when you don't see it, God has a plan. The Lord says here, I think I count three times. Reference to descendants, offspring. Jacob's going, descendants, offspring? Oh, I should tell you guys, the age of Jacob right here. He's 77 years old. He's lived with his parents his entire life. He's not married. He doesn't have children. And God's talking to him about descendants and offspring. We see this, by the way. This is part of what's helpful about studying the whole book of Genesis and the life of so many patriarchs is how many times does God just do the impossible? How many times does God position people in a place where they say, I don't see how this is going to happen, but God, I'm going to trust you and walk by faith. So, so Jacob here, he's 77 years old, who's lived with his parents his entire life, and God starts talking about his offspring and his descendants. Like, 
I, I don't even have a girlfriend. God says to him, I'll bring you back to this land. He's saying, I haven't even left yet. Like there's so much that is going to unfold here. And God is letting Jacob know, I've got a plan. Will you trust me? And of course, God's plan is revealed in God's promises. This is important for, for Jacob to be rooted in the promises of God going, to, going back to his grandfather, Abraham. It's important for you and I also to say God's plan revealed to us through his promises. God has a big plan. He wants to bless Jacob. Yes. But more than that, the promise was, I'm going to bless the whole world through the offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Because Jesus is going to come from this family tree. God had a plan. Jacob probably didn't even realize the significant, amazing role that he played in God's plan. But again, it wasn't about Jacob. It's about God and his plan. Jesus, in John chapter 1, sort of builds on this when uh, he refers to himself as the stairway. So we, we can look there, verse 51. Jesus makes this really clear, like, yeah, there's a stairway that connects heaven and earth, like what Jacob saw, and that stairway is me. Um, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the stairway. Jesus is the only way that we have access to God, our Heavenly Father. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jacob is learning about God in this, the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Abraham and Isaac, and he's learning that humans can have access to God, that, that he's hearing God firsthand. He is having a dream, by the way, but God is speaking to him. He sees God in the dream, and he hears God. Jacob is experiencing a critical foundational piece of God's story, where God is indeed going to bless the whole world through his son Jesus. And it's the exact same in our lives, that God has a good and perfect plan. We don't always see it. Sometimes our circumstances blind us to the realities of God. Here's a guy going, I'm in the wilderness all alone, just left everything I know, 77 years old, don't even have a girlfriend. My brother's trying to kill me. He's probably looking over his shoulder, wondering, is Esau pursuing me? He doesn't see it. How's this all going to happen? My offsprings and, uh, offspring and descendants, I don't even know where I'm going, let alone the fact that you're going to be with me there and you're going to bring me all the way back. Sometimes we are blinded to the realities of God by our circumstances, just like Jacob. And in the same way, God invites us to walk by faith, to trust him, to look to him, to listen to him. We might be longing for that dream job and we fixate on it. This would be best for me if I had this job. And it's not where you are right now. Will you trust that it's God's plan and God working it out in your life? Maybe you're single. I want to get married. I want to have a family. Keep trusting the Lord. Be faithful in this season of life. And God promises that he will be with you. He will walk with you when you're struggling with health issues. Again, your, your circumstances tend to blind you to the realities of God. But he invites us to walk not by sight, but by faith. 
So does that mean when you're walking through those health crises or you're in a, that station of life, that season of life that's not your ultimate dream goal and the hope of where you want to be, does that mean that God's not interested in you? Does that mean God doesn't love you? God doesn't care about you? God doesn't see you? God doesn't hear you? Of course not. What it means is it's not about you. It's about him. He is the Lord. And he will be with you. And he invites you to trust him through that whole process. In fact, the scriptures help to reorient our hearts and minds to say, not my will, but yours. To take a position and a posture of surrender and humility before the Lord, like Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And yet, many of us like to make plans, don't we? I know I do. I'm a planner. I like to plan stuff. And yet the old adage, of course, is, hey, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. So here's my encouragement this morning. When we find ourselves wondering, hmm, what is God's plan? We should look at God's promises. God's plan is revealed in his promises. We, we can stand on the truth of God's word. Isaiah 40, 30. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. That's a promise of God. Are you trusting in the Lord? Philippians 4.19, the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These are promises of God. We find God's plan rooted in his promises. And when we're walking by faith and not by sight, which is most of the time through the journey of life, we can stand on and rest in the promises of God. Back to the life of Jacob. This seems to be the first time he's had a personal encounter with Yahweh. So, like, he'd heard of Yahweh, the Lord, his whole life. Uh, you know, it was, it was the kind of thing where, like, of course, God, Yahweh, uh, God of Abraham, like he'd heard of it. He, he knew this was the God of his father, Isaac. He knew this was the God of his grandfather, Abraham, if not because God identifies himself that way, but because he's grown up in this family hearing these stories. But now the Lord is speaking to him. And if that weren't shocking enough, there was like, oh, I thought you were grandpa's God. If that wasn't shocking enough that God is speaking to him, he was really rattled and confused and disoriented and surprised because he had already left home. Remember, he had gone a three days journey. So for Jacob and his understanding and the, and the culture in which they lived, gods were localized. So in other words, um, there were distinct geographic regions and they were associated with distinct God. So there's the God over there, and here's the God over here. In his mind, Yahweh is the God of Abraham, and he's back there with dad and mom. And so this is really disorienting to him because he doesn't think this way. Now, now we believe that God is omnipresent. <laughs> the scriptures affirm that God is everywhere. Uh, Jacob, by the way, he lived before the scriptures were written. 
He, he didn't have that knowledge. He didn't have that awareness. So that's part of what's so shocking here when God is with him and speaking to him. In his mind, he has left God behind, but God is now with him. And God even says, and I'm going to keep going. I'll be with you on this entire journey because God has a plan. And of course, the promises that God makes to Jacob here, these specific promises about your descendants and the land on which you're lying and how numerous they will be, it echoes the promises that God made to his grandfather Abraham. And we can claim those exact same promises for our lives today. The first is his presence. The Lord says this over and over and over and over. He has affirmed it to these people, his chosen family, and he says it throughout the scriptures, and he says it to us today. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I am with you. But how many times are we guilty, like Jacob, of failing to recognize where God is at work and where God is present? We don't expect him. In Sunday school, we, we learned, oh, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And yet we sometimes go out and act like, well, surely God's not going to be here. Is God aware of what's happening in Israel? Of course, because he's everywhere, because he is there. So that's a comfort to those who believe that God is present, that God is with us. It's a terror to those who don't uh, obey him. <laughs> it's, that, it's that cowering fear of, oh, God's going to zap me because of he sees the wrong that I do. So he promises his presence. He also promises his protection. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He cares for us. He watches over us. Uh, like from Psalm 121, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will neither uh, sleep, slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. He will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. He's got the whole world in his hands. And again, for those who believe, that's a great comfort. That God sees, that God is present, but that God is protecting. That he is capable, that his mighty, strong right hand will care for us. And then the third promise we see, and these are specific to what he gave to Jacob here, is preservation. Like where he says, and I'm going to see you come back. You're not going to just perish in a foreign land. The, the dangers of traveling through the wilderness at night alone aren't going to get you and all the other things that are going to unfold, I'm going to preserve you. We belong to him. He's going to see us through. Those who trust in him will never perish. Heaven and earth will fade away, but God's word and God's kingdom and God's people will endure forever. He says to Jacob very clearly here, like, you're going to see the promised land again. You're going to come back. I will preserve you. You're going to return home. You're going to see your family, your descendants. They're going to live in this land. Again, right here at the onset of the journey, God says to him, hey, you're coming back. No mystery. It's still going to be a great adventure. It's still going to be full of challenges, but you are coming back. I will preserve you. We have that same blessed hope, my friends, because we know that Jesus is coming back, that he will return. He has promised us that he is going to return. He will gather us to himself. We're going to make it home. <laughs> We're going to be gathered with the saints of old, the ones who have gone before us. We're going to live forever in God's presence. He will preserve us. Let's continue to trust him. So then let's look at Jacob's response. So the Lord has appeared to him at the top of the stairway and spoken to him these great promises. Um, so in verse 16, we're in Genesis chapter 28. 
It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It says, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar. He poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow. And he says, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking, and he'll give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar, it will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. This is, again, I I think this is the first personal encounter that Jacob has with the Lord. It's always been grandpa's faith. It's always been uh, Yahweh's dad, you know, dad's God. And this is his encounter with the Lord. And he's, he's in the process of change and transformation. But you can almost even hear in this exchange with him that Jacob is not used to getting things for free. He's not used to the abundant blessings of God. And so he, he, he sort of strikes up this bargain with God where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to need food and I'm going to need clothes. And yeah, I do want to come back like you're saying. And so, yeah, if you can come through on those things, God, then I'll serve you. Then it won't just be you're the God of Abraham and you're the God of Isaac. You will also be the God of Jacob. Oh, and and I'll tithe. I'll give you a tenth of all that I have. And you can see pretty clearly as we look at the rest of this journey in the life of Jacob that God holds up his end of the bargain. (laughs) That God's promises are true, that God's word doesn't fail. And so again, this this is a life being transformed by an encounter with God. And so what I want to do is I want to keep going. Um, We're going to paraphrase some. We're not going to read through every single verse, but go through the rest of this this journey that Jacob goes on. So he makes it to his destination, makes it to Padan Aram. That's where his mother is from. Relatives are there, and he meets Rachel. And he is immediately, instantly smitten by her. And so he begins working for her father, which is Laban, and that is a brother to his mother, Rebecca. So he's his uncle. And he's pursuing Rachel. And in this relationship, what we see between Jacob and Laban is Jacob has finally met his match. (laughs) Because Laban is cut from the same cloth, like two birds of a feather. They are both masters at trickery and deceit and scheming and conniving. And so uh, let's see what happens here. Let's turn to chapter 29, uh, starting in the second half of verse 14. It says, after Jacob had stayed with them for a whole month, Laban says, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. Now, some of you know what's about to happen. So you're not reading this for the first time. And you look closely at verse 19 and the response of Laban and you go, oh, he didn't say yes. (laughs) Maybe this is the first time you've read it this way where you go, oh, that old dog. They didn't shake hands on it and say, yep, okay, you got Rachel. 
He goes, oh, Rachel's the one you want? You know, yeah, it's better for her to marry you. So Jacob works the seven years for Uncle Laban. They seem like only a few days. It's this great love story. Uh, it seemed like only a few days, even though it was seven years, because of his great love for Rachel. The wedding day comes. What happens? Somebody help me. He doesn't marry Rachel. <laughs> he marries Leah. Laban pulls the old switcheroo. Jacob does not even realize that the switch has taken place. They go through with the wedding ceremony. He doesn't even realize until the next day. Now, in his defense, he's 84 years old at this point. And we know his father Isaac went blind and was losing sight. Maybe that's hereditary. So can you blame him for not recognizing the difference between two sisters? Okay? But can you just imagine when he says, Leah... I wanted to marry Rachel. I mean, he probably let out this guttural scream. Laban, you trickster. How could you do this to me? And he goes to Laban and has this conversation. And Laban, I can just imagine the conversation. He's really coy. Like, um, oh, oh, didn't I mention that we always marry the older daughter first? (laughs) Did I? I forgot to tell you that, didn't I? Gee, I'm really sorry that I forgot to tell you that it was actually Leah that you were going to marry. But listen, by the way, we got a two-for-one special going on right now. If, if you would just work for me for the low, low cost of seven more years of hard labor, uh, you can have the beautiful Rachel as your wife as well. <laughs> so Jacob, the trickster, finds himself now being tricked. Um, he's getting a taste of his own medicine. Uh, And then really what happens over the next while, like chapters 29 and 30, again, we'll kind of fast forward here, but um, Jacob ends up with uh, 12 children born to him. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Six by Leah, two by Leah's maidservant Zilpah, two by Rachel, and two by Rachel's maidservant Bilhah. Um, We don't have time to get into all of the antics there, but maybe some good Sunday afternoon reading, Genesis 29 and 30. Uh, Let me just put it this way. The time that Jacob spends in Haran is like a soap opera. <laughs> Which, okay, I've never seen a soap opera, but it's what I imagine a soap opera to be like. Like, it's just filled with this, like, intrigue and drama and deceit. And, like, so he's contending with Laban. He's got wives, and he's got these, uh, the, the maidservants of his wives, which at one point are called concubines. And they're bickering, and they vie for prominence and for attention. Oh, and then the livestock situation uh, which basically there is like Jacob outsmarting Laban. And so what really what happens is we see a back and forth that happens um, where they're tricking each other. It begins with Laban and the deceit of, ha-ha, I just got Leah married off. Ha-ha, I just got more, seven more years of work out of this young man. And then Jacob kind of gets back at him with this um, livestock thing that he does where um, Laban says to Jacob, hey, like, what you do flourishes. He's seen his work ethic. He's seen that he's blessed. And so he's like, I, pr- I appreciate you and the work you're doing. I, you know, what do I owe you? Like, how, how can I pay you? Um, and Jacob's response, I love Jacob's response. You could just, he's just a con man to the bone. Oh, pay me? No, you don't have to pay me anything, he says. Oh, but I've noticed that there are some spotted and speckled and streaked livestock, you know. Why don't we just clean that up? I'll just take those out of your flock 
you know, the ones that are crisp and pristine and like, I'll just get those out of your hair and I'll take those. Why, why don't we just say, oh, I don't know, like, those are mine. And so what, what he does is like, he, he fabricates this way where the streaked and spotted and speckled livestock are the ones that are strong and healthy and robust. And so his flocks and herds, like, they just grow and they're strong and they're healthy. And Laban's just get weaker and they dwindle. And Laban he has no idea how this is happening. And he's frustrated. He like, and and you, you kind of get the sense that, that every day Jacob wakes up dreaming and scheming, like, how am I going to get Laban today? Well, I mean, I don't think all of their adventures are even recorded, probably. I think there are probably more. This is a 20-year period. Um, and I think every day Laban wakes up like, I got to watch. I got to keep my eye on this boy. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to pull today because there's something fishy going on. So it says 10 times Laban goes to Jacob and goes, yeah, uh, I'd like to rethink this agreement. You know, the spotted and streaked and speckled ones are really flourishing. Why don't we have you take this segment? Why don't we have you take these? And every time he makes that adjustment, Jacob's are the ones that are growing and flourishing to the point where Laban and his sons start to say, hey, this isn't good. Like, look at our stuff. It's weak. They're sickly. There aren't very many of them. And look at his stuff. It's this huge flourishing, like all that he has, donkeys and camels and goats and sheep, like all of this. And he starts then acquiring servants as well. Jacob does. And so uh, it's just this back and forth that happens between Jacob and Laban. And then the relationship really starts to sour, as most of Jacob's relationships do. (laughs) And so Jacob decides to leave. So it's time to go. It's time to pack up everything that belongs to him and make the journey home. Now, he, of course, then again is going to do it in a way that's kind of scheming and conniving. So he just waits. He doesn't let anyone know. He doesn't let Laban know that he's going to be leaving. And he waits until it's shearing time. And Laban goes off, and he's going to be away for an extended period of time. They had, you know, their flocks were huge. So they had probably thousands of of animals, you know, sheep for shearing. So he waits until Laban leaves to go out into the fields to do the shearing. And then he's like, hey, guys, let's pack it up. Let's go. And so, yeah, he may have arrived in Haran on foot with nothing, but boy, uh, the exit is totally different. He's on a beautiful saddle on camelback. He's got massive amounts of livestock. He's got his wives and his concubines and his children and his servants. Like, it is a big procession when Jacob leaves. But he, he does this, and probably it was an odd sight, because again, based on what the sons of Laban are saying, it's almost as if more herds and flocks and creatures are leaving than those that are staying. You know, you think of the people uh, of Israel when they left Egypt and the, how they plundered them. It's kind of that same idea where Jacob goes, it's like he's packing up everything but the kitchen sink. And so he takes off. He, he leaves Um, He doesn't tell Laban that he's going, Um, but there's tension right up to the very end of this journey of Jacob. There's there's tension because when Laban realizes that that they're gone, and again, this would have been hard to miss, he he comes in potentially from a few weeks away uh, shearing sheep. They're like, hey, where is everybody? So he loads up himself and he goes after them. He journeys. He goes really far, actually. They're, al- they're almost home by the, time he, by the time he reaches them. But uh, Laban goes after them and he confronts Jacob. He says, why have you deceived me like this? Why have you carried off my, my daughters and, and my grandchildren like they're, they're captives? You didn't even say goodbye. You didn't even follow our cu- custom, which is like a goodbye party. 
where we've got the harps and the music and the singing and the rejoicing and like these long extended farewells. Like, you didn't allow me to do that. You stole from me. And Jacob's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, my, my idols, my household gods, the little shrine that we worship at. Because again, Laban, like, okay, he apparently was not a, a great follower of Yahweh because he's got household gods, but they were stolen. So someone in Jacob's party, not only have they packed up their stuff and left, but they have violated Laban and his household by stealing these personal belongings, these gods, these idols. And so Jacob, who does not know that it is his beloved wife, Rachel, who is the thief, he says, we don't have your stinking idols, but go ahead and look for them. Search who... And if you find someone here that has stolen them, well, put them to death. (laughs) So cue the dramatic music (laughs) as Laban begins searching and hunting through all the tents and all the bags and all the stuff. And Jacob, not knowing that anyone has taken these idols, certainly not the fact that it's Rachel who has taken these idols. So there is tension all the way up to the end of this journey and the encounters that Jacob has with Laban. So Laban goes into Rachel's tent, and there she is. Now she has placed the idols in her saddle, and she's sitting on top of it. And so dad looks everywhere else, but he doesn't find the idols. (laughs) Whew! Rachel's not punished for her thievery and escapes a, a huge scandal that could unfold, and Laban doesn't know any the better. And then it says that they set up another pillar, It's a a heap of stones. And they say, this is sort of like a boundary marker. This is Jacob and Laban. They they say, this is like the boundary marker, like your side, my side. Like, don't come come back over here. Laban is saying, you know, I'm done with you. Don't, don't Don't cross over here. Don't come and try to trick me again. Just stay on your side. Uh, The Lord is going to keep watch between us, is what they say. Like, in other words, no more trickery. No more deceit. We can't live together. We can't coexist together. We keep, you know, tricking and conniving each other. And so we're just going to part ways. And so this is the end of Jacob's journey. And if you think about it, he's not in a great spot here. Because he burned bridges back home in Canaan, the promised land. Esau's there, for all he knows, just seething every day, sharpening his tools and, and, and weapons ready to get him. He has now, he can't go back to Haran. He can't go back with Laban and the ancestors of his mother, Rebekah. There's no going back, but to move forward means Esau. Can you imagine how stressed out this guy must be? Like, there's, like, where am I supposed to go here, God? I can't go back. I can't go forward. I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. But God knows. God knows what's going to play out, and we're going to find out next Sunday. God has a plan. And he was unfolding that plan in the life of Jacob, even through times where Jacob couldn't see it. And God is doing the same in your life. I love this quote from theologian A.W. Tozer. He once said, It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Like sometimes in the journey of life, we are tested. We are pushed to that breaking point. We, we, are, we are tired. We are weary. We are unsure. We face situations that are just way bigger than us. And maybe you're facing a situation right now 
that's way bigger than you. You're not capable. You don't have the resources. It's out of your hands. I want you to hear this this morning, that it's in God's hands. The whole world is in his hands. He has a plan for your life. And as you trust him and walk by faith, he will carry that plan out. As we study the life of Jacob, and again, we have a few more weeks that we're going to do that. Please notice that the Bible doesn't say you and your family and your situation have to be perfect or else God can't be among you or else God can't use you and can't work in and through you. I mean, this guy, in a word, is dysfunctional. Everything, everything about him, like from his parents playing favorites, like he was, he was kind of doomed from the start in his family of origin, to his wives who they're bartering for, for time spent with him, to trying to outcon the con man, Laban. But the Lord says he has a plan. Whether we're dysfunctional or not, he promises to be with you, his presence. He promises to protect you. He promises to preserve your life and your lineage. Will you trust him? Will you walk by faith and not by sight? Will you, perhaps as Jacob said back in verse 13, be able to say, surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't even realize it. Let's pray together. Oh, good and gracious God, we thank you. And we trust you. When our lives are a mess and dysfunctional, we know that you can still use us. When we've not been walking with you in loving fellowship and communion, we know that you can call to us as you appeared to Jacob. Say, no, it's not just grandpa's God anymore, but I want to be your God. So thank you, Lord, for this amazing story of transformation in the life of Jacob. And thank you, Lord, for the ways that you are transforming each and every one of us. Oh God, we trust you. We submit to you. We thank you that in your beautiful master plan, you have seen fit to reach down into our mire and distress by sending your one and only son, the Lamb of God, so we believe in Jesus. We put our trust in him and in him alone, knowing that there is salvation in no other name. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We give you the honor and the glory. We pray only in Jesus' precious name. Amen.